don't want to say social media is toxic because I don't believe that it is. I don't think it's any more toxic than money. I think if you hand money to someone who's highly responsible and has a plan, they're going to do some great things with it and probably help a lot of people. If you hand someone that has a lot of problems money, they're going to create chaos with that money. Welcome to The Follow-Up from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Today, our guest is technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. She's the author of One Tech Action and the Social Media Why. Crystal's clients include uh, top Fortune 500 companies like Google, Microsoft, and GE. And as one of Forbes 50 leading female futurists, she appears weekly on season two of the Emmy-nominated show Life 2.0. And she's appeared in numerous publications, including Entrepreneur and Bloomberg Business Week. So, Crystal, thank you so much for coming on and joining us here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I think it's so fascinating to like what, why people pick to become an expert or a speaker on what they do. So how did you end up here, you know, being this expert on social media, being a futurist, being a strategist? How did you become those things? Well, I'll, I'll try to give you the condensed story. Okay, so my degree is in hotel and restaurant management. That's what I went to school for because they offered me a free ride. And as a, <laughs> as a young person, I understood free, right? And it was yeah. a business degree where you have to know how to treat people well. I was like, I can do this. Uh, but my emphasis was always in sales and marketing. And so I graduated, went right into management, some of the top companies uh, in that industry. But there was this little thing on the horizon called social media. And I'm talking about, this is like MySpace days, okay? Like infancy of Twitter. And I remember, you know, Brian, as this side, I was actually a salesperson. And then I moved into revenue management because I got bored. So I'm also analytical, even though I'm a salesperson. And I remember going to my boss, and I was kind of in this uh, revenue management, which is also a marketing position. And he said, hey, this social media thing, I have a feeling it's going to be huge. <laughs> I, said, I know, like right now, we're like, ha ha. But at the time, it, it wasn't quite there yet. Like companies were not using it at all. And so here's my, you know, baby boomer elder boss and I'm, I told him I said just I think you should just give me permission to just spend just a little bit of time not a lot to create a project around this I'm feeling we could really really expand our reach uh, for the property using this tool and he looked at me and he said look kid you're cute and you make us a bleep load of money <laughs> stick to what you know mm. oh you know a little insulting a little insulting yeah yeah yeah, but I'm also a millennial. Um, I'm an old millennial, like, you know, but I'm still a millennial. So I did a very millennial thing. I quit my job to start a marketing firm because I was like, this is going to be huge. And so I started helping companies market through social media before it was a thing, like before there were business profiles. And they started to see growth and, and the speaking came from that. Uh, but I noticed in the course of my speaking on first social media, then I realized People weren't understanding that social media isn't a standalone thing. It's part of a marketing strategy. I remember I have a sales and marketing background. So then expanded to talk about all kinds of technologies and how they fit together. The futurism came from the fact that over the years, I would always, whether it's from the stage or my consulting clients, tell people it was coming ahead of time before it was ever a thing. And, and it was accurate. And so I decided to start showing people how I was doing this, how you can do horizon scanning, how you can plan and and use all this technology in practical ways. So that's a long story of how I ended up here, but there you go. 
So I'm curious about that. How do you talk to that executive who is down the road from you in terms of years? Are they obviously more receptive now, but do you have certain strategies on communicating with that person? Well, a lot of it is also cultural. This is something I learned as a salesperson because uh, I was known for always exceeding my goals. I would actually, I was so naughty, I'd sandbag. Anybody that was in sales knows what that means. It means <laughs> that you don't actually sign all your contracts in a month because if you sign too many, then your goals just rise, right? So yeah. I would always stop at about 125%. My point is, I understood the sales aspect of it. And, and I understood that you have to speak to people in their language. And so it's not even just about upper leadership C-suite. I have to understand the culture of these people. And I mean, um, in terms of worldwide culture, not just business culture. Because for instance, the way that I get a message through to my clients that bring me into companies in the Middle East is a little bit of a different way that I show social proof when I'm flown into like South America, right? Which is a little bit more social. Uh, it, it really depends on the culture. So overall, you know, some are a little bit more social than others. So you have to tell a little bit of personal stories, some anecdotes, some client stories, kind of get them in the story if that's the culture. Most of them, though, you have to you have to have data. You have to show them why they should care. You know, when you show people how doing this thing creates a measurable impact and you can show them case studies, then they're open. Everything else is is just nice, but it's not necessarily real. Uh, people can fib. Numbers don't. But uh, what sort of numbers do you use? When you're doing this, like where do those where do those come from and what are the you know, the examples you use for that? So I'll, I'll give you one of the best examples. Uh, so I'll, I'll go back to the social media piece since we're talking about as I was growing. I was one of the first proponents I knew that was telling people, you know, this is cute that we're talking about likes and comments and things. But when was the last time you could pay a mortgage with likes? You know, when was the last time? And so I would talk about tracking conversions and unique ways to track conversions, not even just the standard ways. Yes, you're going to ask people when they call. Yes, you're going to create lead pages. These are all things people do now. But at the time, it really wasn't popular when I was talking about it. And I would show them how, you know, examples of customers and, and clients that I've had, especially been consulting in, we, I would show them how the majority of their clients were coming to them using social media or SEO, we could show them the difference in revenue once they started using these tools. And so that's pretty much the main piece. If you can just show people measurable differences, they understand. Um, and then sometimes storytelling is necessary. So for instance, when I talk about foresight, you know, and I talk about some of the things people should be doing to prepare for the future, oftentimes the way we view the future is very, very flawed. We think it's something that happens to us. It's something that you know, it happens and then you scramble to prepare for it when in fact there's many possible futures out there, but there's really two to three most likely futures and we only prepare for the future we want to happen. And so showing people how preparing for these alternate futures and giving them examples of companies, um, I want to say it wasn't Caterpillar. I think it was one of their competitors and how they, they actually survived through the uh, 2008-2009 season because their CEO had directed them to basically plan for a worst case scenario moment. And they were like, what are you talking about? We're at the top of nothing's going to happen. You know, this is like 2006 when you told them to do this. And they were actually, yeah, and, and when it actually occurred, then they were, you know, when this horrible event happened financially, they're one of the top companies to ride it out. And I said, I don't think it was Caterpillar, but it was, it was similar. Um, because they were able to fall back on the strategy that already been created. So showing people how to do that and what technology exists to help us do it more efficiently and effectively, 
because as humans, we have a lot of bias. And I'm not talking about like racial or cultural bias. I mean, we, we all have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we all have future bias, meaning that it's very hard for us to imagine a future that we're not expecting, not wanted, because some people are like natural pessimists, right? And so we might say they don't want a certain future, but they do. We all know those people where they want to be able to say I was right. So whatever we're expecting, well, I mean, and there's no judgment on it, but whatever yeah, yeah. we're expecting is what we prepare for, but what we're expecting is what we're biased towards. And so all of these other alternatives that are very likely, sometimes even more likely than our desired future, we just are ill-prepared for, but it's not, it doesn't have to be that. I like that. It's kind of like the Marvel multiverse of madness type of thing. Like you have to prepare for all these different universes. You've got to prepare for all these different things. So I, I like that thought process. And MCU, and they, MCU should hire you to uh, talk through things, I'm sure. <laughs> to work out. For one of my talks, I have a worksheet that I give everyone as a download afterwards that walks them and their teams through that exercise. It could be an entrepreneur. It could be a whole organization doing it. But it actually gets them creating these three alternate scenarios. And the way it words it, it makes you pull out things you don't want to have. But then it preps you through each of these scenarios. And by the very end, you actually collapse all of these three scenarios into one or two actions you need to take to be prepared for any scenario. And once you have those in your back pocket, it doesn't just work against these three um, futures that you didn't want, these three possible um, unwanted futures. It also prepares you against other possibilities that could hurt you as well. From a leadership standpoint, you know, if you were to say, so I know you've got this worksheet, if you were a leader, what's maybe one thing that you could do tomorrow thinking for yourself or for your company, what steps would you take? This is something very simple and many leaders don't do it, okay? But I have to give a couple little examples if it's okay before I go into it for this Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for instance, let's look at a company like Blockbuster. I'm not gonna go into the overarching story that people always say, but what I do say is that the future did not just happen at Blockbuster. Uh, Blockbuster, we know, had the opportunity to buy Netflix. They backed out of it. We won't get to the details of that. But Blockbuster would have made a different decision had they done something many companies don't do. Most of us in organizations, we stick with a C-suite, maybe sometimes some of our other leaders, and, and we think about how smart we are and we pass around our ideas. This is what I think we should do. This is what I think we should do. The fact of the matter is, if Blockbuster just went to their cashiers and said, hey, what problems are you seeing every single day? Every single one of those cashiers would have said, oh, Every day someone comes in here yelling because they're mad because they came all the way to this store and couldn't find what they were looking for, or they keep forgetting to return videos. If they had just listened to the cashiers they would have, and found solutions to those three problems, it would have led them to buy Netflix or do something similar. Another example would be taxi companies all over the world. Uh, the future did not just happen to taxi companies. The fact that they're being owned right now by companies that don't really own vehicles is, is insanity. But all they had to do was talk to their dispatchers and say, what issues are you seeing every single day, dispatcher? What are people upset about? And they would say that all over the world, people have problems getting uh, transportation in certain neighborhoods, and they keep calling back, trying to figure out where their vehicle is. It's been 20 minutes. It's been 30 minutes. And they would have found solutions to solve those problems. And so any leader that's listening to us right now, I would highly suggest that they ask their frontline people, what are the challenges? that you're seeing repeated or the frustrations you're seeing for our clients or end users every single day and leave it wide open. Don't give them A through D. Don't box them into answers, but allow them to share with you what they're seeing as the challenges. And then you can go through and start to parse through those answers, that data, and you're going to start to see some patterns. Mm -hmm. That is what we should take action on first. Not all these other innovations and ideas we see, 
we have to solve the customer or client challenges first. Yeah, I love that. It's not just the question, it's who you ask and and just being open. Like I love the openness of that. Uh, and you mentioned don't box them into certain answers. So that's that's great. Uh, so now moving on to um, you know, for salespeople using social media, LinkedIn, what are the best ways? Uh, because you know, this is what I hear, like talking about what you hear, I'm so busy. I don't have time, like I'm doing calls, I'm doing emails, I'm doing presentations. I don't have time to do social media. Why should they do it? Like who who's doing better than them? And what are some you know introduction steps or what would you advise somebody who's in sales and they're using social media? So I'm gonna have to divide this up because there's different types of salespeople that sell to different groups, okay? I'll share that most of the sales groups I speak to are more real estate, financial services, travel, tourism. Okay. So what I tell people is if you're too busy to post on social media, don't or do very little. So I'm, I'm not, I have a very different perspective, but you have to be really smart about what you are doing. Okay. So depending on the industry and where you're likely to find people, most sales professionals definitely want to take advantage of LinkedIn and YouTube, but not to constantly post. Both of them run on keywords. So that has to do with search engine, uh, search engine optimization. And I don't want to talk down to anyone listening, but just in case someone doesn't know, that's how likely someone is to find your brand online. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the fact that YouTube is owned by Google, the largest search engine, and technically YouTube is the second largest search engine, making sure that you're creating videos that are optimized for search so that if your ideal client or customer is searching for something that you are the solution for, making sure those words are in that title and that description mentioned in the first 30 seconds of the video so it's in that transcription piece. Mm -hmm. So it's about being strategic. You don't have to do tons of videos, but again, this is gonna change my industry. So it's very hard to give a blanket answer here. On LinkedIn, ensuring that your personal profile or your company page is chock full of all the keywords or words that a layman or your ideal customer would type in to find you. You cannot be found for words that are not in those profiles. Mm -hmm. So optimizing those the same way you would a website. And then the last thing is, you know, I, I don't want to send people to social media telling them I need you to post these many times a day and do this. Again, it does depend on what you're doing. If you're in retail, this is going to look a little bit different. But I will say that when it comes to your key clients, when it comes to your referral partners, I suggest that you use social media more as a spy tool than anything else. It's not about what you post. It's about seeing what they post. Are they posting that they want an award? Great. Send them a card, a physical card. Don't get on Facebook and say, congratulations. <laughs> Take a screenshot of that bad boy and then use a tool like TouchNote or send out cards. Plop it on the front of a card with congratulations across the top, a sweet message inside, and using some like send out cards, you can send them some brownies, okay? So do that. Um, if you're seeing that they're posting something about their little grandchildren, maybe they have two granddaughters that are twins and they love, I don't know, ballet. All right, go ahead and get a little book made with the twins' names in it, right? With both of the little ball ballerinas with their names. Shoot that to that referral partner or that key client, whoever that is. And so I tell people, it's not about what you post. It's about showing people you listen to them. Most people are much more interested in themselves than us. That's just how it works, right? <laughs> right. And so, and so you don't have to post much. I mean, maybe a little bit so that you're not like a, a weird lurker that they get stuff from but never see anything about you if they go to your profile. Mm. But use it to get information. I'll give you one more exa example, Brian, that I did in my own business a few years ago. 
I had a client, she was really into football. I'm going to be honest. I don't care about football. I don't care about any sports. That's just, that's my truth. I just sit on the couch with my husband and whatever noise he makes, I make the same noise. And he thinks I'm into it. So he goes, ah, I'm like, ah, and like, I know. I'm like, I know. And then I go back to the room. So I, I don't know too much about these things, but I do know for whatever reason on Twitter of all places, she would post a lot about her favorite team and her favorite uh, player. And so this person was in financial services. So you have to be very careful about the size of gifts you give people in that industry. And so I found a custom Lego, I think it was 20 bucks, of her favorite player. And I just shot her that. I forgot what, I attached it to an occasion. But I was like, you know, I just sent it to her. Hey, I saw on Twitter that this is your favorite team. I thought you'd like this. So again, don't be spooky. So let people know how you do these things. Because otherwise, it's like, ah. She was so tickled. At least once a year, I get a picture of this Lego moving around her office. So, <laughs> what about us? Right? And we've done a lot of business since then, too. That's, yeah. you know, that's our point. So I say all that to say, if you do not feel that you have a great deal of time to post in most situations, and again, that's not always true. If you're in retail, this needs to look a little different, then don't. But use it to get insights so that you can build close relationships. And then, especially if you're more B2B, Go ahead, or if you're really high dollar retail, so that you don't have a whole lot of clients, but it's really maybe you have a boutique where everything in there is thousands of dollars. Take this information you're getting on social media and plug it into your CRM so that you remember all these details about them. So when you talk to them, you can mention their new puppy or you can mention their husband's 50th, you know, I don't know, whatever reunion and this crazy thing that happened. Yeah. Pair it with your CRM. You do not have to post all the time. And that is going to help you build better relationships than finding random articles to post all day. One thing I, I really liked what you, you mentioned in there is about switching to the card. So you said a lot of great things in there. Um, I, I read uh, somewhere you were talking about how this does not replace, social media does not replace human interaction. Can you expand on that a bit more? You know, it does. It absolutely does not replace face to face. It does not replace phone calls. It does not replace handwritten notes but it allows us to gain insights uh, about people. It allows us to check in with people in between those interactions. Because Brian, while we all have key contacts, connections, clients, we're not gonna show up to their office every day and say, hey, I was just thinking of you. That's weird, <laughs> that's weird, that's spooky. And calling and doing the same thing is, is just about as strange. But if we go on their social media profile from time to time and make a comment on a vacation or a little grandbaby or their son or their dog, Sparky, it's enough to touch them in between those other interactions so we're not being spooky. And again, we can glean some great information on there. And they're putting it out there for public consumption. Mm -hmm. So again, I just say, share, oh, I saw on Facebook you like this. That's why I'm sending you this note. Or this is why I'm sending you your favorite flower. I saw that. So again, we're, we're not being weird, but they see, oh, people care. I put it out there and they read it. And that's going to put you far ahead of someone that's just posting just a whole bunch of articles. Well, you've done it. That actually kind of leads me to the next question. You posted, talked about a lot of things you can do really well. What are some things that you can do that mess up things for you on LinkedIn or elsewhere? If you're in sales or a leader, whatever it might be. Well, I think number one, not knowing the culture of the networks, which is something I don't really hear people talk about. Each social network has its own unique culture. And the same way that if we communicate the same message to two people of two different cultures, even though we're trying to communicate the same thing, we might change how we're communicating. So, I mean, an, an obvious example would be, let's say someone only spoke English, someone else only spoke Spanish. You change it up, right? Mm -hmm. But even in terms of visiting people's homes, cultures are different. Some places you take off your shoes, some you don't. Understand, like, the culture of Facebook is, is really about community. 
and it's very much casual. Twitter is about real-time information adding value, or it has been. We'll see where it goes. You know, things, things are changing. LinkedIn is about business. It's all business. People don't want to see pictures of our babies. They don't want to see pictures of our cats. They don't want to see videos of our babies riding our cats, right? It's all about business. And so when you understand the cultures, you know, TikTok's more about entertainment on some level uh, and finding a way to connect with people, have an emotional connection through video. Instagram is all about visual storytelling, right? So when you understand the culture, that's half the battle. Part of the challenge is when people post on LinkedIn is if they're on Facebook. That can make people lose respect for you. In retrospect, if you post on Facebook the way that you do on LinkedIn, you come off as a robot. You don't make that emotional connection that people have, right? Uh, and certainly if you do on TikTok, which you go on LinkedIn doing that, it, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, when the C-suite executives see you, you know, doing your dances, I don't think that's going to work out too well. <laughs> you first have to understand the culture. Um, I think the next thing you do is you have to understand your audience and your posting strategy if you post, or even if you're there to uh, lovingly lurk, as I call it, needs to be in alignment with who your customers are. Because again, if you're trying to attach yourself to C-suite executives, that's a very, very different demographic than a lot of Gen, uh, Gen Zs. And I'm not saying there's no correlation or nothing in common, but I mean that typically you're going after different things. If you're looking for Gen Z fashion people, that's different than C-suite executives in the oil and gas industry. Mm -hmm. And so understanding the culture of the client you're aiming for and the culture of the network is key. If you know those two things and keep that in mind, you'll be fine. Uh, I know that was broad, but yeah. I don't want to get into all the little do's and don'ts because everybody that watches your podcast, they're brilliant people. So I think that's enough to kind of give us an overview of, oh, okay, so knowing these clients and this network, I probably shouldn't do this, or maybe I shouldn't go off about politics here to this group and take a, a far side here, or, you know, so it, it just, just follow those guidelines, understand the cultural implications of what you're posting. Yes. And for all those who are listening, now you have it that if you're watching <laughs> this or listening, that a Forbes 50 leading female futurist just said that you were all brilliant. So you can take <laughs> that home. You're much, you're even better today than you thought you were. So thank you for that. So, um, you know, you're a futurist and an expert on social media. What trends or what things do you see coming up in the next year, next few years that people should be aware of and be prepared for? Gotcha. Yeah, and I just want to, just for clarification, I'm much wider than social media. I kind of talk right, about right. consumer technology. Just when anyone's right. listening, is clear. Yeah, so um, you can hit both if you want to. Yeah. So I think when we think about what's coming up next, there's a few trends that I'm watching. And I tend to watch humans a lot more than the technology because I'm also known as a pragmatist. So I'm the one that'll come into conferences. And yes, I know about the newest stuff, but I always talk about what matters to you. And here's a trend and here's what you should do about it, how it applies to you. Because some stuff we've all heard people speak and I'm not talking about futures. I mean, just anybody. And like, this is what's coming. And you're like, OK, what do I do about it? How does, how does that apply to me? So with that having been said, there's a few things that are going on. One, we're seeing that people are becoming overwhelmed in general. OK, like there's just this spirit of overwhelm all around us. We're seeing it, how people are acting. It was already happening with social media for a while because I don't want to say social media is toxic because I don't believe that it is. I don't think it's any more toxic than money. I think if you hand money to someone who's highly responsible and has a plan, they're going to do some great things with it and probably help a lot of people. If you hand someone that has a lot of problems money, they're going to create chaos with that money. Social media is the same way, but there's enough people creating chaos uh, and using even bots to create chaos where 
a lot of people are experiencing overwhelm. We're also seeing that a lot of younger people are not wanting to be in wide-based social networks where just anyone can connect with them. They're really more interested in connecting with their own friends group. And so one trend I think that anybody should be aware of, whether you're C-suite or sales, is going to become increasingly more difficult to connect with younger consumers and customers because they're not interested in just being exposed to everybody as a general rule of thumb. And part of it has to do with the fact that they've been overexposed their whole lives. Um, again, I'm a millennial, but I'm an old millennial. The generation after me, imagine, want you to be a man, imagine being born, which now that I think about it is a weird thing for me to ask you to imagine, but let's just go with me here. Imagine the moment you're out of there, you're still sticky, and someone has a camera phone in your face, and you're on Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, and I mean, from day one, potty training, there's pictures of you on the internet, on the potty. So this, this is that younger group that's like, no, you know, so a lot of them are a lot more, they're not interested in having their real name on their profiles in a lot of cases. Um, it's a very different energy than what the millennials had, my generation, who thought we were all reality TV shows, uh, stars, right? So we want to create our own reality show. So we have to understand that younger people are going to be harder to get a hold of. And then even those of us that are more seasoned, a lot of us are becoming more tired. Right. And so how do you reach us when we start exiting different social networks or using them less or sometimes just technology overwhelm in general? Uh, we're starting to see facilities that are treating people where they when as soon as you come in there, they take your phone and they're almost trying to help you have a technology detox. Um, they're more popular in other parts of the world, specifically Asia, but we're starting to see some leak in here, too. And so what is the backlash to technology? How do we balance out that? How do we make our brands even more human so that whether people are highly technical, taking breaks or not, we're still able to reach them in a way that respects where they're at. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, I won't say there's going to be a complete pullback from technology at all, but I do think we're going to see some people that are not necessarily Luddites say, you know what, I need a little less. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big one. I also think that we're in a world where people are more connected than ever, but less connected than ever before. And we see this craving for community and people are building it in very interesting places. Um, I know for me, I've watched what's been happening around uh, blockchain and uh, different altcoins and NFTs. And something that I've observed that I haven't talked about really. So this is exclusive for you, Brian. All right, there we go. That it almost seems like um, people are building religions. It's almost replacing some people's religion to be in these groups. You see the level of belief that they have and the way that they congregate. So it's like there's a hunger somewhere and they're moving to these other places. I don't know what that means other than it's a little scary uh, because it's very easy to scam people when they're in that state of mind. So this lack of in-life connectivity is creating these larger populations online that are looking for being together as a group. So then the question becomes, is there an opportunity there for someone that potentially has something that could actually be helpful to um, so I think those are some of the major ones outside of that. You know, if someone doesn't understand blockchain, there's, there's actually, while it's not one of my major talks, I have been brought in to address blockchain because when I talk about technology, I intentionally remove the use of jargon. Like it takes work to do this because I, I need everyone in the audience to know that they're super intelligent because they are. We just might not know a particular industry's jargon. But understanding that blockchain is already revolutionizing the world, how fast we have transactions. And more importantly, with the introduction of more smart contracts, and we can't go into the details, but since you're asking, some people mm -hmm. can kind of look up themselves, all right? 
smart contracts are going to reduce middlemen. So if you think about the process of if you want to invest in a home um, as, a, as a side home, maybe just a rental home or something, and you think about all the people that are part of that process from you trying to identify a home to buy and getting it and then potentially finding a management company and, and then they're having to hire a company to do the background check on the people. And it, so when you have a smart contract, technically it is possible for you to have a relationship with one entity that starts this that literally uses um, technology to identify and they probably use machine learning to identify the best property for you in the best area. And this actually already exists more so they're using a little bit more in Europe than here, but they're definitely using it here too. Mm -hmm. And then from there, once the home is found, it can literally run through this chain, knocking out all these individual jobs, then going ahead and automatically connecting with the management company. You're not signing anything separate because this already happened, this happens next. And then that management company already has a contract with a company that can already post it and uh, do the background checks on everybody that puts in the applications and then automatically selects someone and then automatically bills them every month for their rental. And then if they skip a few payments, automatically starts the transaction or the process, uh, the legal process for getting them evicted. So you think about all these different entities that are normally involved in this process, even just the first one of identifying a house. Anyone who's bought a house recently knows there's about four or five people involved in that transaction at a minimum. Right. Now, all these individual people are faceless and it becomes a technology doesn't mean there's no people behind it, but it does mean there's less people behind it. So I think that's probably the thing that smart contracts, I think most, especially C-level folks should really be paying attention to right now and understanding the possibility of how do you get on at the beginning of this, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the chain? Because if you're too far in the middle, you might actually get knocked out because we're already seeing how companies are expanding. We're seeing how grocery companies are investing in fintech so that they're also financing their credit cards, their banks as well, right? And so mm -hmm. the problem is with all this technology and this merging is that if you're not at the beginning, you don't catch people at the beginning of this chain. Or let me do it this way if it's reflected. If you're not catching people at the beginning of the chain, you're more likely to be knocked out because the people at the beginning might be able to create the entire chain. Very true. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing so much about, you know, from what to look forward in the future, uh, how to adapt to those things, uh, social media, whether you're a leader or in sales and, and just a countless number of other things. So thank you so much for sharing that and being a guest here today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for the follow-up. To learn more about today's guest, go to premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.